This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. They're not the good guys. They're not the bad guys. They're the other guys. Wait, wait, wait. Who the heck are these guys? This is the Finishing Move, the Other Guys podcast. With your hosts, the bearded wrestling fan, Chris Colwell. And Finishing Move intern, David Holloway. They're breaking down all the latest in professional wrestling, and they're not just covering the big guys, they're covering the other guys, too. It's the Finishing Move, the Other Guys podcast, and it begins now. Again, though, who the heck are these guys? We are now shifting out of full gear and heading straight into Revolution. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Finishing Moves, the Other Guys podcast. I am the intern, David Holloway. Y'all know me as the NXT expert of the Finishing Move. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the bearded wrestling fan himself, Mr. Chris Cole. Chris, we had a really interesting show at Full Gear. I say we hit it on the on the hit the nail on the head for the most part, but overall, I thought it was a really good production. So, what did you think of the show last on um, Saturday night? Well. That aside, I'll get to that in a second, but you just called yourself the NXT expert of the finishing movie, yet you go straight into talking about AEW. I'm I'm kind of confused. What credentials do you have at this point to talk about AEW well, if you're touting yourself as the NXT expert? Given that, that, that that's the title that Big John and Road Dog gave me initially, I'm going to stick with that. I do call myself an AEW aficionado, but I don't know if I built that credibility to say that just uh, So you're all right, so you're the resident finishing moves, resident NXT expert and AEW aficionado and in the eyes of Chuck Oliver, you're still an intern. So that right there is all that matters. He's the one who gave you the, the intern nickname in the first place, man. I blame him on that one. <laughs> well, you know what? Don't feel bad because pretty much everybody there is still an intern to Chuck Oliver, so yeah, I can see that. <laughs> that's how that's how the world of Dickie Broadcasting works. Chuck, don't. But uh, yeah, yeah, Full Gear. Uh, I you know really enjoyed the show, top to bottom. I mean, you know, I've talked about it with a few folks around the office this week, and you know, even even the worst match on the card was still pretty good considering. So, uh, top to bottom, I think they put on a great show. And man, I'm gonna tell you right now, the added ex- just a little bit of extra fans that they were able to allow into the building, the crowd for this show was hot. That just made was all so the, into the that show, made just all the added difference. so much to it. It made all yeah, the difference, did, absolutely. But yeah, anyway, so let's go on and get started. For the first, we had the buy and pay per view. Originally, it was supposed to be Orange Cassidy versus John Silver, but then they moved it to the NWA Women's World Champion. She made a return, Serena Deeb. She is facing off against Allison Kay. This is pretty much a squash match. But anyway, Serena Deeb, she's looking fantastic as the NWA Women's Champion. Coming from being a trainer and a jobber in in WWE to being the world champion in NWA and making some appearances in the independency, mostly in AEW. This is going to be a bit of an out-of-left-field comparison, but I think this is more so like when Jinder Mahal came back and he became was like a jobber at WWE forever. When he came back, he faces off against Randy Orton, wins the WWE Championship, goes on a hot streak. Serena Deeb pretty much going up against 
Thunder Rosa taking the NWA Women's Championship away. I kind of see a little bit of that in this little little uh, picture, to so to speak. Uh, I mean, well, for one, I didn't see this as a squash match. I, I mean, it was pretty competitive from what I saw, um, but I thought it was a really solid way to start the show, especially for folks trying to, if you were on the fence about buying this, this the whole purpose of the buy-in is, you know, give fans that might be on the fence a chance to see a match. Hey, maybe that'll tip tip them into going ahead and buying the show. But uh, a good back and forth match, I thought. I mean, yeah, Serena Deeb. I mean, she kind of came out of nowhere. For, you know, pun intended with Randy Orton. There, you want to reference him and the Jinder Mahal rivalry. But uh, yeah, she did kind of come out of nowhere to win that NWA Women's World Title. I mean, I think a lot of people expect the Thunder Rosa to hold that title for a long time, and especially with her making appearances in AEW as of late, including at the end of this match. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure quite why they decided to make the title change in the first place, especially when Thunder Rosa is still supposedly, reportedly under contract to the NWA, but. That that's you know neither here nor there uh you know what i saw i'll be honest with you my my memories of serena deeb are strictly pretty much about 10 years ago as a member of the straight edge society along with cm punk and uh luke gallows and joey mercury and i mean she didn't really wrestle then she was more a valet in the group um I've never really seen her wrestle a whole lot and, and to get to see her lately, man, she's, she's impressed. She's been really solid and Allison cave and she can go. She's been great. Uh, she was great in impact to Sienna. I mean, she was uh, a good women's champion uh, for the NWA prior to Thunder Rosa taking that title off of her back in January. So, uh, I mean, from what I've seen from from really from both has been impressive. They're, they really did a good job of selling, especially uh, uh, this is where Excalibur really uh, does well on the broadcast team, but really kind of zoning in on the history of Serena Deeb and Allison K, the fact they used to be training partners and all that. Uh, you know, there's a good backstory there and, and a good quality match. And I'll be honest with you, and I told I told some folks this prior to the pay-per-view, I was more intrigued and more interested in this particular women's title match than the AEW women's title match, which happened later on on the main card. And I still stand by that. This was more interesting and more intriguing and a better match. Overall, I definitely agree with you there. But we'll get to the Women's World Championship for AEW later on. But I think Allison K made a few appearances at Dark, if I, if I remember correctly. I think she was kind of squashed at Dark by... Uh, Maybe Sheeta or Penelope Ford or something like back when she first came into AEW, if I remember correctly. But yeah, overall, this this is definitely more interesting story, especially with Thunder Rosa coming back out at the end of the match. Kind of maybe we'll see a rematch eventually down the line. Who knows where that's going to go? We'll see eventually in NWA or AEW. So now let's get into the show itself. I think we kicked it off. Tournament finals between Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. This was the predictable outcome, but man, what a match it was. I mean, like you said, with Excalibur during the uh, Serena Demon, Allison K, he also did a good job of digging into the backstory of Hangman and Kenny Omega. Overall, these two went back and forth. It was a fantastic match, but as predicted, Kenny Omega was going to go to the face off against John Moxley, a revolution possibly, for the AEW World Championship, as predicted. But I'll tell you what, this is a good way to end the tournament finals, even though we knew what was going to happen. Well, no, it was predictable all the all the way through the entire tournament, but that's not all for the TNT title tournament. We all knew the finals were going to be Cody and, and Lance Archer, and nobody had a problem with that. And I also thought 
thought it was kind of predictable that Cody was going to win the title because it just made sense. Uh, and, and nobody hated that. And it was the right choice. In this case, it's the right choice. Now, admittedly so, I'm a big Hangman Page fan. I, I love his character. Uh, the whole hold my beer thing I think is hilarious. And I think he's a solid in-ring wrestler. And, you know, the fan in me was still kind of rooting for Hangman Page to win this match. But I knew, the, I guess, Mark in me that follows the sport and the the I, guess, I don't want to call myself a journalist. We're not journalists. Here. Journalists. Journalists. But, you know, for this podcast and for the show, I know the right move here was obviously going to be Kenny Omega. So you made the right the match. Now, I'm with you. This match was great. It was an, one that you couldn't. There was no better to this show with than this one. The one thing I will say, and it was my only critique about it, it was a great match, but man, dude, it could have been incredible. It on a little bit longer. I felt like it was kind of just, bam, there was the one-winged angel, and it's over. And, you know, I think part of it is, you know, we've been kind of jaded as wrestling fans because of the way really incredible wrestling matches have taken place over the last 10 years where it's not a great match in false finishes, false finishes, easy for me to say, and you kick out of three or four finishers in the course of that match, and you got none of that here. It was one finisher, and it was over. You didn't get a but you didn't get the buckshot, and we only got the one one winged angel, and that was it. I mean, maybe that was what it was missing was one. You know, Hangman kicks out of one of the one winged angels, but then gets hit with another, another, and that's it. Or you know, maybe it, it just needed an extra. I don't know five minutes of match time that felt like they were really starting to get into a stride uh, w- when the match ended. So, I mean, as good as it was, man, it could have been that much better. Uh, and I, the one thing I, I, you know, I'm obviously happy to see Omega finally getting into the world title picture after over a year of being in the tag team division. We all kind of scratched our head. Why is he here? Why is he not going after the world title? It's good to see him there, but I will say this, man, I would love to see more of hangman versus Kenny Omega. We've seen him as the team, that was such a great match. You know, I kind of hate to think of, oh, well, Kenny's moving on to John. Now where does Hangman go from here? I honestly would like to see more of Kenny versus Hangman. Well, yeah, I definitely think that'd be a great idea as well. But my thing is, yeah, you're right, but about the whole not kicking out of the finishers, but the one-winged angel's been built up to be this one move that absolutely nobody will ever, ever, ever kick out of. And I think they really needed to solidify that to make him go up against John Moxley, who maybe like the one guy to kick out of it eventually, but I don't think that's going to happen because Kenny Omega has pretty much been built up to have that one move that nobody gets out of. But Hangman Page, I think where we go from here is have Kenny take over the, take the title. And then when uh, Hangman steps up, he's going to be the first guy to challenge. So I think Hangman Page and Kenny Omega will feud over the title eventually. So I think he'll probably be the first, first challenger to step up since being his former tag team partner, Kenny can only say, Hey, you know what? You and I go way back. I say you get. I'll give you the first shot. I mean that could very well work, and you know it's kind of crazy to think of the fact that you would have to kind of you take a Kenny Omega who's got all you know he's the best bout machine. He's got all this credibility as a singles guy, but because of the way that you booked him over the first year of AEW's existence, you almost have to reestablish him as a singles guy, and that's crazy to think that you would have to do that. 
but you almost have to show folks maybe the new fans of AEW that weren't watching New Japan and weren't watching Ring of Honor and and seeing Kenny Omega's exploits as a singles wrestler. Hey, this is what this guy can do. Now we got to show, you know, we we didn't do that over the course of the first year because we had him in the tag team with Hangman. Now we got to actually show you. By the way, that finisher nobody kicks out of it. By the way, he's incredible. We got to show you again before we can actually make him a credible world title contender. And it's crazy to think that you'd find yourself in that situation, but here we are. I almost, I, I like your idea of, of, of the, you know, we get the first meeting between Kenny and hangman. Now let's keep them perhaps separated for a while to get back to it down the road. Once Kenny, as we all expect, probably down the road is going to take that belt from John Moxley, because I mean, realistically, who, who else can John go through? Um, you know, you honestly could spend the next year building slow build, building up hangman as a credible challenger because yeah he, you know he got him at buzz would you look at hangman page right now and say if if right now we had to change titles would you put the belt on hangman page because i don't know as big of a fan as i am of him would that make sense and i don't know that it necessarily would right at this moment and i think you know you could play out the storyline maybe he gets himself back on track with the, the whole drinking thing maybe he gets his head straight and he gets focused and he just racks up win after win after win as a singles guy and then when the time comes maybe it maybe at full gear next year maybe it all out next year man he's ready to challenge kenny omega uh, for that world title whoever the world champion is whatever that may be so i mean as much as i would like to see them go at it again i do i think there's there's some merit there uh to what you're saying to kind of keep them separate for a little while that's very true yeah be yeah, like you said, they've been a tag team for so long, you kind of have to reestablish them at some point. Yeah, that that's a very valid argument right there, and I think that's a very good way to go about it. The thing is, who do you pair Hangman with now that he's done with Omega for the time being until Omega eventually, which we think will take the belt off of Moxley? Maybe get him started like in a feud with the Dark Order or something. Maybe have the Dark Order attack him out of nowhere. Maybe have him go up against Brody Lee or maybe Ten or... Evil Uno or Grayson or something like that. I think the Dark Order would be a good way to go about it because on the one hand, you can't really make them look too weak having them lose to Hangman. But because since they have that gang mentality, they can't really, I don't think there's a way for them to look too weak because they could get like a Hangman get a fluke win or something and then they attack him and then he kind of overcomes them, I guess. I think the Dark Order would probably be a good way to go. Maybe Cole Cabana throw him in there as well. Just have Hangman overcome the Dark Order, and that will build some good credibility for him. Well, you know what? There's also, I mean, they have sort of teased a little bit of interaction there. Uh, I guess this was prior to All Out when uh, Hangman and Kenny were still tag champs, and they had the match against Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, uh, in which you know there was an interaction there with Brody Lee and with, I'm sorry, Mr. Brody Lee, and uh, the rest of the dark order so yeah that might be a way to go maybe a hangman page bro mr brody lee match would would make sense you know i mean he's down kind of you know he's he's lost the tag titles now he's lost his chance to challenge for the world title after losing to kenny he doesn't seem to have friends right now i mean perhaps what happens out of this is the dark order makes overtures at hangman page but unlike colt he doesn't listen to him and that leads to a feud and now he's got a battle with them which may result in, you know, may help facilitate when Colt finally leaves the Dark Order. So, they, I mean, somehow they could be connected. I don't know. I mean, you got some options out there. I don't think it would be, you know, a Brian Cage or a Ricky Stark since they seem to still be involved with Darby Allen. Uh, but, you know, Dark Order doesn't seem to really have, at least at the, the top of the, the food chain there in the group, 
Brody Lee hasn't been around for a minute. He hasn't had a story going on. Um, you know, John Silver just finished up with Orange Cassidy, but that's not really a major program within the group. That kind of makes sense. I think you're onto something there. Yeah, definitely for sure. But the thing I want to avoid with the Cole Cabana thing getting kicked out, I don't think that it'd be a good idea to have Cole Cabana lose his spot to Hangman Page because that could either go two ways. One, Hangman Page just kind of buddy buddies with the Dark Order. Cole Cabana kind of kind of says, "What the hell? I I joined you guys. You're gonna turn me down for this guy." Or number two, Hangman and Cabana could team up, and I could like get him caught in a tag team with Cabana for a bit. And I think that just that kind of put him in limbo a little bit. So I don't think that Cole Cabana and Hangman Page should be involved too much of the same storyline if Cole Cabana were to leave the Dark Order, because I think that just be like can be throwing him into a bit of a limbo, put him back in a tag division. So you need to keep the establishment going up. You got to delay that establishment as a single star for a bit longer. So I think that's a. I don't think those two should meet up just yet. No, and I'm not suggesting that Hangman actually become a member of the Dark Order. I think that would be a bad decision on their part. I think he's got to they've got to make the overtures towards him, but when he turn unlike Colt, if he turns them down, that's the that's the catalyst of the feud to begin with. Now, okay, you didn't want to join us. Well, guess what? Now you're against us. So that begins the feud. And maybe, you know, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't think the direction for hangman would be to form another tag team. He doesn't need to be in another tag team right now, at least not in the long term. But if it meant for the purpose of the storyline, you could interweave it a little bit. You know, maybe they team up for one match against the dark order and that's it. That's it. They move on, you know, or I don't know. I mean, just hangman turn heel somewhere down the road. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe him and Colt do make a short term team out of that, but then he ends up turning on Colt for whatever reason, who knows, what you could do, you got some options here with Hangman, but um, I don't know. He doesn't def- definitely doesn't need to be in the tag division anymore. If you want him to be, you know, if you want to get him back to where he was at All Out 2019 when he was the, the in the match for the original, you know, the first ever AEW champion against Chris Jericho, you got to rebuild him as a singles guy. So he definitely doesn't need to be tag division. If it's a one off with Colt against the Dark Order, I mean, you could make that work, but. Otherwise, yeah, you definitely need to keep them split. So speaking of the Dark Order, now we go on to the match that was originally the buy-in match. It's going to be John Silver against Orange Cassie. John Silver, who I called the stooge of the Dark Order, and I and we both agree that's the, probably the best word to describe him, goes up against Orange Cassie. Orange Cassie just plays mind games with the guy the whole time, and John Silver just gets pissed off and annoyed and eventually just gets caught, and Orange Cassie beats him fair and square. Now... As much as I love Orange Cassidy, man, I think this is a good way to kind of, you know, let him chill out for a bit because he just got over Chris Jericho. He's not ready to go for the for the TNT title just yet since he just lost his opportunities. I think this is a good way for him to build up some, like, keep his credibility going and eventually make his way into the TNT title picture. But he needed something to do, and I think this was a good thing to do it. And I think this might build up to other members of the Dark Order leading forward if they don't go the Hangman Adam Page route. This match got moved over from the buyout. I would have left it there. And I know I've said on the show recently that I didn't like the fact that Orange Cassidy was, after having the big match and the big blow-off and beating Chris Jericho at All Out, that he wasn't even on the main pay-per-view card. But my issue wasn't necessarily that he wasn't on the card. It was that he was wrestling John Silver. And, like, you established this guy as, as a you know, one of your bigger stars now with, with him beating Chris Jericho, not once, but twice in their feud. 
you know, he's one of your top guys, or not necessarily top guys, but he's one of your bigger stars now. Uh, leaving him off the card altogether didn't make sense, and putting him in a situation in a match that was kind of just a meh kind of match, like, why are we having this? Uh, you know, if you were going to do that, then you might as well have left it on the buy-in. And uh, honestly, I would have been fine with the women's the NWA women's title match actually being on the main pay-per-view. That would have been fine with me. I thought that was a solid match. I'm not saying that this match wasn't good, I think here's the thing with me. I thought it it was a solid wrestling match. The problem I had was that you've got, as you said it yourself, the stooge of the dark order. You know, he's very, he's very, he's kind of the comedic character inside the group, John Silver. And then Orange Cassidy himself is sort of a comedic character. This match, other than maybe at the very beginning, wasn't really all that comedic. It was more turned into more of just a regular wrestling match. And, I don't know. Maybe I was looking for more of the haha out of it just because it's two haha kind of characters. And we didn't get that. And then the fact that it was, again, it was Orange Cassidy, at, you know, having to wrestle John Silver. I would have much rather seen some type of a six man tag with Orange Cassidy and the best friends against, you know, the Dark Order, against Miro and, and Kip Sabian or some kind of combo like that. Um, so I, I don't know where you go with Orange Cassidy from here. I, I mean, I agree. You don't want to overexpose him because he's a character that there's not going to be a whole lot of coming back from that. What happens if you push him to a point where fans start to reject him now as a babyface? Well, how does a heel orange Cassidy work? I don't think it does. No. So you have to be a little careful, but at the same time, find something more interesting for him to do. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you this though, John Silver, man, that kid is freaking built. He's yeah, tiny. He is. Yeah, he, is. he looks like he's built like a tank and he's like, what? Five, eight or something. I think. I'm There's like five, no way he's 5'8". I'm 5'10". I think he looks more like my height. I'm five he 11, looks shorter so. than my wife. She's 5'1". <laughs> this dude could wrestle in the minis in, in Mexico, to be honest with you. That's how short he looks. I don't know if he's I mean, like Orange Cassidy's not a tall guy. Orange Cassidy's not a tall guy. I think Orange Cassidy was much height, taller right? than I think he's more my well, height. I mean, he's probably close to it. I mean, you got to remember the average height in AEW is probably just under six. I mean, all the way around. I mean, there's not a lot of tall guys in yeah. AEW. You've got your your standouts like you know Archer and uh, Brody Lee, but I mean, and Cody's pretty tall. But for the most part, most of the wrestlers aren't that tall. That's you know, fine. I think Anna Jay may be a bit taller than him. As like, if you see him side yeah. by side, I think Anna Jay maybe have a little, maybe a couple inches on him. He, but, he's short and stocky. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, man, that dude's got some freaking freaking beef on his guns. Man. Orange Cassidy what. is five foot ten. Okay, John Silver's built at five foot four. I just looked this up, and holy crap! I did not think he's he was five foot there. Good grief! I did not no think way. he was that short. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't think he was that. short. Oh no, he look. He looks like I said. I, I knew Orange Cassidy was not that tall. So, and when he's looking that much shorter than Orange Cassidy, I mean, yeah, I'm 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 a good bit taller than John Silver, and I'm not a tall guy. So I'll tell you <laughs> I mean, this: I'm I five do- five eight. I do agree with you on the fact that yeah, you don't have you can't ex- overexpose Orange Cassidy, and I did expect some more comedic out of this. Although you got when you do an Orange Cassidy against a guy like John Silver, you kind of have to do the little kicks of doom right there around like the kick to the shit. Well, and that though. that part was funny. I, I that, that I like that, but then it turned that. into well, yeah, you have to, but then it turned into oh well, let's let's just have a bunch of let's just have a regular wrestling match after that, and, and then like, John okay. Silver just rips Orange Cassidy's pockets off his pants. That that part was kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the one way to kind of get to Orange Cassidy, just take his pockets away. I mean, that's like his whole thing right there. Also, and that was just rude. It's like taking his sunglasses. 
Now, yeah, don't you don't touch the shades. I mean, come on now. That's an easy way to yeah, piss them don't off. Don't mess with the aviators, man. No. But I do think the placement on the card is really well done because it leads up to our next match. It doesn't put like two big matches back to back. It leads into the AEW TNT Championship match between Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen. Now we both thought that Darby Allen was going to take the belt, which he did. Spoiler alert. And overall, this is the right move. This is a really good way to go about it. I loved the match. I loved how Darby Allen looked. He looked very strong. He looked resilient. Cody looked like he was putting everything out there. He looked, I honestly, I think he looked maybe a little overconfident in this match because he kept trying to go mm-hmm. like do the high flying rather than the technical mat game that Arn Anderson tried to put into him. And I think that's what eventually led Cody to his downfall. So I think that now I will say this: there was there was the whole like massive heel turn that I expected to happen, which honestly, in retrospect, I thought that was kind of dumb that I thought that to begin with. But I do see somewhere like Cody maybe going a bit heelish. I don't know if he's going to go full on the next couple weeks. But yeah, don't, and plus the chance of you deserve it to Darby Allen when he finally won that title. That just made the whole moment right there. Oh, man. I've been saying it for months. I th- honestly think he, Darby's the most over guy in AEW right now. The pops that he gets when he comes out with that that guitar riff hits that the, of his theme music, man, people go nuts when he comes out. And you're talking about, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's the the you know a draw yet. But he, as far as getting pops, man, people get psyched when when he comes out because they know they're going to see something special. And that's when you're competing against guys like Cody who gets great pops. So John Moxley gets a big pop when he comes out. The Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, uh, and even Hangman. And, and Darby's getting pops that are louder than all of them, which, man, that just says a lot for where he's at as a character and where the fans have really kind of embraced him. Uh, for what he can bring in the ring, but also, man, he's just got a cool character, man. It's it's different. And, uh, you know, we did talk about, you know, this would be a good moment for Darby to take it. Honestly, I didn't think he was. I mean, I I, I wanted it to happen, and, boy, I popped like crazy when when I saw it happen. But as, as, the, mo- as the day kind of came up there, I was – I just kind of figured, eh, Cody's probably going to take this. I'm not sure how – but Cody's going to walk away with it somehow, I'm pretty sure. And then, sure enough, Tarby takes it, man. And I, it was a good choice. Now, I didn't expect Cody to go full-on heel in the match. My prediction was that he'd lose, and it would be in handling that loss in the weeks to come that would lead to a heel Cody. But that said, with the way that they did do the finish, after he wins, when he hands the title over to him and then then he get, ends up getting involved with both Brian Cage and Ricky Starks when they come out with Taz. That leads me to think if there is going to be one, it's not going to happen right away because I, I'm guessing that there's probably going to be some involvement with Cody now, maybe teaming up a little bit with Darby, and maybe that's what leads to the heel turn. Maybe they team up against Brian Cage and Ricky Starks you know, in a couple weeks on Dynamite, and then maybe a month or so, maybe at the, after the new year, then we get that heel turn, and maybe that's the feud that we lead into. Maybe we get Darby. I guess technically it's Darby Cody five, but at Revolution we get the heel Cody against Darby, and that's where Cody takes it back. So we'll have to see where it goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll tell you this about Darby though, man. Uh, like I think the finish made it look a little too flukish. I think he should have gotten a little bit more of like maybe just like at least pin it with the Last Supper. <laughs> Don't just get like a flukish sort of pin like he did. So I think it just made. I think it would make Darby look stronger. And um, but I do think that the roll up win does kind of give Cody more of an incentive to turn. It kind of makes it make more sense to say, "Hey, you beat me on a fluke. That was bullcrap." But 
like you said, I think that the involvement with Ricky Starks and Brian Cage, I think Ricky's going to finally demand his title opportunity, and I think Darby's going to beat him. Mm-hmm. Because, let's face it, Ricky Starks actually, I do think, deserves to be in the rankings since his record speaks for itself. And I think he's only got maybe, like, what, one or two losses all year. And uh, granted, most of them are on dark. He's looked really good in the ring, and I do think that Ricky deserves a TNT title shot. All for Ricky Starks getting getting really involved in the title picture because anybody that saw his work on NWA Power when he was the inaugural NWA, well, not the inaugural, but the uh, the once they brought reactivated the the NWA Television Championship, he won that title there and and defended it for several weeks before he lost it. But you know he was one of the one of the rising stars there. Man, the dude can go. Uh, he's got the look, man. He's got the personality, and uh, we've got to see the heel side of him that we didn't get to see in NWA. He was babyface there, and I think he's done pretty well, man. He's got like a young rock kind of uh, attitude to him, uh, just maybe smaller, but still kind of that same, you know, good looking, but got the, you know, I don't know. He's just got that arrogance and that cockiness to him that just works. And I mean, him and Darby, I mean. Then maybe that's what happens. Maybe we get Darby versus Ricky Starks for the television title in the short term, but we're building to ultimately to another matchup with Cody and Darby because, you know, you're right. That roll up, maybe that's not necessarily the catalyst for the Cody heel turn. What could be the catalyst is the rematch that Cody's going to want down the road. And if you're still, if Darby's going to honor that whole open TNT, you know, championship challenge thing that Cody was doing. Then Cody's going to get that shot down the road, and that's going to be his argument. Hey, you should give me a rematch because you beat me, but you didn't beat me, beat me. You know, you rolled me up. You got the better me. Yeah, you were the better man on this night, but that doesn't mean that you soundly defeated me like I had beat every other time for the most part in their rivalry. So I think maybe you you long-term go to, to, the, to the next matchup with Cody and Darby, but in the short term, Let's get Ricky Starks and Darby. And maybe even Brian Cage gets a shot at it. Who knows? Uh, we'll see kind of where we go from here. Well, I'll tell you this about Ricky. The fact that you told me he hasn't really been a heel much kind of surprises me because he's so naturally good at it. He's got that naturally cocky attitude. I just It feels like he's been a heel more than he's been a baby face based on what I'm seeing from him, if I'm being honest. Right. Well, and I say that having just watched him at the end of last year, and into the beginning of this year as part of the NWA brand with NWA power. That's not to say that he wasn't working heel prior to that. Um, in fact, I think I saw uh, on watching the NWA's was that you got the uh, the Nick Aldis, Cody, NWA world title rematch after all in. Uh, it did kind of seem that Ricky Starks did kind of seem he was acting, you know, kind of playing into that heel role there. So that maybe he's been a heel for the majority of his time, having been in a position as a baby face as part of that. And and I thought he did pretty well with that too, but he was cocky there too. I think that cockiness is just natural. He's just got that kind of heel personality. It just works no matter where you position him. And he's just playing this heel in, in, in AEW very well. Let's not forget he was also in a tag team with Arid Solo forever. It's like I think they were called naturally naturally gifted or naturally talented or something like that. I can't remember their name. But they also made an appearance in WWE when they went in a squash match on Monday Night Raw against The Revival, him and Aaron Solo. I had to look that up, and I, uh. I'm like, holy crap, that actually is them. So they've been tag partners forever. Now that Solo's back in, in um, AEW with Ricky Starks, maybe we'll see that pairing down the road. Maybe maybe Ricky Starks will make him join Team Taz. I don't know. But yeah, like if you saw this um, last night on Dark, 
uh, Ricky Starks kind of was talking to Taz, say, hey, we got to get these guys to join, or maybe we get these guys to join Team Taz. And Taz is like, no, we make that discussion off air, all right? Because Taz is the commentator. And also, Ricky Starks is really good on commentary on AEW Dark. Hey, man, he's, you know, for a guy as young as he is, which he's what? Uh, actually, I don't even see, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now, I don't even see an age for him. So he's, he's like been wrestling since right? 12. Yeah, he's got to be in his 20s. He he is a natural uh, on both the mic in front of the camera, and yeah, he does really well in commentary. Considering that he's probably never, if he's done it before, it's been on a small scale level. But then again, if he's being coached up by Taz, I can see where he would be learning pretty quickly because Taz. I mean, he's been great at it ever since he ever did it. So, uh, and obviously has is I think a lot of a lot of modern era wrestling fans might only recognize Taz as a commentator now, as opposed to the great wrestler he was for ECW. But, um, you know, it's a good trainer to have if you're going to be educated in the way of doing announcing. But yeah, Ricky Starks, man, just natural. Like the, his exchanges with Taz and also Excalibur on dark. They're just, they're hysterical sometimes. Like sometimes you'll just get them go on a banter. They'll just like crack each other up and just like, You'll see a wrestling match and you'll just hear them cackling in the background, just laughing. And then they just finally tried to get back on track there. That's it's like Michael Cole and Corey Graves, sort of like when they kind of just Corey Graves says something really funny and he just starts laughing and they can't, they just can't get back on track. You get the same kind of vibe with Taz, Ricky Starks and um, Excalibur on AEW dark. <laughs> you can also tell that how like laid back the, the atmosphere is because I've, I mean, I've, I've, even with Ricky Starks, not even on commentary, I've heard, you know, kind of the jokes and the inside little pushes and things like that. And you can tell that it's more of you're you're kind of inter- they're entertaining themselves as much as they're entertaining people. Listen, watching Dark, you must be a pretty diehard wrestling fan. So, you know, I think it's a good place for for Ricky Starks to kind of bring that personality out and to kind of be more of himself. But um, that's definitely kind of the commentary thing. He's almost as good as Chris Jericho is when he's on commentary with Shivani. Okay, let's JR. I go too far now. Chris Jericho in status as an announcer, and he's just started. How great is he going to be? He's going to be better than Jesse Ventura wrapped into one. I'll tell you what, though. His stuff with Shivani, like, it just cracks me up. Like, he'll just say, you're a stupid idiot, JR. You're a stupid idiot, Shivani, or something like that. Or when um, when Jericho's on commentary for, like, when he got his jacket covered in orange juice, he closes out the show by yelling, I'm covered in orange juice, Jim. <laughs> it's just little things like that, man. Yeah. He, the, the his comedic is, timing is incredible. It's, it's perfect. I mean, like it was the, you close the it, show with just yes. hearing Jericho yelling, "I'm covered in orange juice." Just right, right. It, it's so terrible. He actually does a great job when he's trying to call a match. So it's like you know, you're watch a show with him on commentary. You know, you're going to laugh the entire show, and you're going to actually get some insight and follow along the storylines. He's going to both do his job to get over. The whoever he's trying to get over in the ring and entertain the crap out of you. It's very Jesse Ventura. Like it's very Bobby Heenan. Like it's very Jerry Lawler. Like yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, he's a natural. Honestly, I hope that this is something that he's just enjoying to do right now. And that, you know, later on, you know, when he finally does step away, you know, he might just be like, eh, yeah, I, I, I might come do it on guest occasion. I would love it if he would, commit to this yeah like if you and were, become you know the announce the the you know yeah. main heel announcer for AEW. that like, would be fantastic if 
for nothing else in the pay-per-views, you know, do that. And if you can't do all the dynamites, but at least be a, a part of the AEW commentary team going forward. Yeah, like if JR were to finally step down as like the lead commentator and Excalibur were to be the lead guy and then you'd have Shivani and then you'd have Jericho, that the three being your commentary team. That would be You give fantastic. me Jericho. Like I, and Excalibur can take the take the he can be the Byron Saxton. Oh, I, I don't mean, know about him that. Take the bu- I don't know if he's that kind of dorky. Well, I don't know. They give him crap all the time. Just I mean, not being- as much as Saxton though. I mean, come on, Saxton's pretty much like a punching bag. Oh, I mean, he is, but it takes you know, and he's more. He's a punching you, bag for Corey Graves. But you make him he like when you hear Saxton talk, you just cringe a little bit sometimes. But like when you hear Excalibur talk, it's different. No. It's because Byron Saxton's goal is to, he is so pro babyface, almost nauseating. And that's why I like, eh, just shut up. Whereas Excalibur is more educational. Like he's, he, he brings the, the knowledge that Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone will never have about the wrestling business because, you know, they don't cover the independent, they don't follow the independent. You know, if anything, Excalibur is He's got the the knowledge of, of these guys that you know Tony and and not gonna know. He knows all the moves, which is why matches where you know even though technically Jim Ross is the lead play by play guy, Excalibur ends up calling more of the match these days because Excalibur knows the moves. Yeah, very true. So anyway, let's move. Then we're getting a little off track there. So let's go on to the next match. It's gonna That's be. What- Move. We find squirrel holes and we go running right down them. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that, man. It makes it a more entertaining podcast and plus gives us more time to talk. Anyway, we're going to move entertaining on. Entertaining to-, to who? You or me or, or listeners? I don't know if you know, I find we're entertaining it somebody. I well, find it funny. Is, as long as we entertain ourselves, who cares about our listeners? Yeah, exactly. Wait, I wouldn't uh, be careful there, Chris. I just watch watch yourself when you're on the show. I'm the heel of this group. Let's be honest. Yeah. Okay. I'll so get, I don't I mind. Probably, ba- I'm gonna be yeah. like Baron Corbin. I'm gonna bask in the glory of being a heel. Okay. I don't know if you're as bad as Baron Corbin. That's pretty good. Yeah. You are definitely the heel comment. That's you're more. But I think you you're more of a Baron Corbin. Are you Corbin? Don't be hating on. I think you're more of a JBL. If anything. Uh, that could be. I mean, I don't like because you're likable, but you're not a. You're not like you don't have that go away heat about you. Yeah, but I'd like to think I don't bully. I mean, I don't know if I want to be JBL or not. Although I, I, I would absolutely gallon hat. Any yeah, day oh, that, I think you look good in a ten gallon hat, man. Get a nice Stetson on you. I think you. I'm look a country solid. boy at heart. Yeah, man, that works. Yeah, yeah I, I can, I can I'd be Michael Cole. You be Jer- you be JBL. So yeah. Anyway, so let's go on to the AEW Women's World Championship matchup: Hikaru Shida and Nyla Rose. The match itself was good. I mean, it was a solid matchup. Not no not much build up to it going into the match. So there's not really much to go on about this. This was just basically a thrown together rematch since Nyla was, I believe she's the number one contender rankings wise. So they made only made sense. And Britt Baker just recently got back from injury. So a little too soon to put her in the title picture yet. Nyla Rose seems to be the only contender since the AEW division, as we kind of spoken of in the past, is a little bit more on the thinner side since there's a lot of talents injured or stuck with COVID or mostly involved in AEW dark and haven't built up yet. But I think the most interesting part of this was at the end of the match, after Ikarashita got the win, most interesting part at the end, the little exchange between Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose. Vicky getting yelling in Nyla's face and slapping her across the face. Got a little bit of tension between those two. 
I'm kind of interested to see where this goes because I'm not sure if Vicky's going to leave Nyla or Nyla's going to beat her up or whatever. But, man, I'll tell you what, this has kind of got me thinking what's going to happen next. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was kind of an interesting way to end it, but I'll be honest with you, from the beginning of this match, I just I couldn't get into it, man, because even when it was a good showing, really, probably one of the better, better matches I've seen Nyla Rose have, it just still wasn't great. It still wasn't very good. It was, if anything, it was satisfactory. The women's division in AEW just slacks so much, and it's. I think part of the problem is is that there's just not the actual talent is spread out, and uh, WWE obviously has the majority of the really good women's wrestlers in the world. There's a few in AEW, but there's not enough. And it, the other ones you think of are with other companies. You think of a Deanna Perrazzo in, in Impact Wrestling or Jordan Grace Impact Wrestling. Tessa Blanchard, well, she may not be able to find a job anywhere because she's a head case. Um, Kylie Ray, kind of the you know unfortunate with her situation, but you know then I mean Thunder Rose has been a part of AEW, but isn't officially a member of the roster yet. She's still NWA. Allison K, you could bring her in, but you haven't officially made her a part of the show. E- elsewhere, that roster's thin, man, and you know, yeah, by default Nyla Rose gets this title shot. But let's be honest, other than being big, what does Nyla Rose really bring to the table? She's not good. She's just not good in the ring. She's not good at all. And, you know, she did her best to bring out what she could in this match. And I thought the story they told was pretty good. It was just it's execution, man. I just can't I just can't get into it. And poor Sheeta, man. I'm a big fan of, of Sheeta. And I feel like she's carrying this division all by herself. She's got no help. I mean, Britt Baker's got a good character. But I think we're still waiting to see if Britt Baker can be that solid in-ring wrestler that can compete with Sheeta and be a credible wrestler. I think that's the reasoning by her heel turn to begin with is nobody was getting into what she was bringing to the table. Cause she just was underwhelming in the ring. She just wasn't lighting the world on fire as a baby face because of her mainly because of her in ring work. And I know they're weak a little bit in the division because they had a lot of Japanese women's wrestlers that were part of AEW, like, uh, uh, Emi Sakaru or, you know, some of the other Riho, um, they're obviously COVID has kept kept them away because they're in Japan or wherever that they're they're staying at this point because they can, you know travel issues obviously are, are an issue but uh, thank goodness she happened to be stateside uh, during the, all this time or you wouldn't even have her the women's division would really be suffering uh, because Nyla Rose would probably still be champion and I don't know really where you would go from that it's just man it, it's a sad state because you expected. A company like AEW, who's supposed to be the kind of that next, you know, the revolutionary kind of company that's doing what WWE doesn't want to do, but they're bringing wrestling to, into the future with the the people that they're featuring and the way they're presenting it. Yet their women's division is much weaker than what WWE presents on all three brands, and the fact that they don't even really feature it as much because of that makes them look that far further behind the times in their women's division, which. It's kind of mind-boggling to me. Well, I pulled up the women's rankings in AEW right now, and here's the rankings right now. You got Sheeta, obviously, is the champion at 21. The next one up, you got Big Swole is the number one contender right now at 11 and 4. Nyla drops to Nyla Rose drops to number two at 12 and 3. You got Penelope Ford next up at 9 and 5. Serena Deeb is number four at 3 and 2. And then you've got Britt Baker at number five at 6 and 6. So, yeah, you're right there. There's not much there. 
But when I tell you what, when when Chris Statlander I think comes back from her injury, I think she'll be thrown right back into the mix and kind of get a lot of big wins to build her up because she's probably the next the only one that I can think of that is readily available as in not out of the country due to COVID. And I think she's like the best option at this point just to be thrown in the rankings just to build up some more credibility to this division. No, I, I I agree with you. And to be honest with you, I'm glad you brought her up because she's she's a kind of slips your mind when it's been so long since she's been around because of her injury, uh, which was so ill timed because she was really gaining some momentum. She had that match against Nyla Rose at Revolution last, or earlier this year, and uh, was really starting to get over. And you know, to see where she might have ended up would have been interesting. But I don't know. I mean, you look at the women's division and you just went down that the rankings and what I see there is a list of, with the exception of Penelope, it's a list of mainly babyface women's wrestlers. The you got to, I can think that's part of the problem is you don't have a good, credible heel. I don't know if Nyla uh, challenger. Can, I don't for think Nyla considered a baby face. I think she's more of a heel, but yeah. Well, no, you, yeah, you didn't. Well, throw in Nyla aside. Yeah, you're right. But you mentioned, you know, big swole who has had a match against Sheeta. Um, and I do like big swole. I think she's got a lot of potential, but Obviously, you're not going to do the whole babyface, babyface route there. And then, I mean, you, you mentioned, uh, what, Serena Deeb. Well, she's just really kind of getting established at this point. So, um, you know, Penelope's not bad, but I think in her case, I don't know. She She's okay. She's pretty good, but she's not. I don't know if she's good enough to be, you know, a legit and it's still a contender, but someone that could hold that title for a long time and fans would really, She's more so really a get on valet, board with. If anything, for Kip Sabian than rent than like a full time like a wrestler, so to speak. Because she's a valet for Joey Janela first, and then she moved on to Sabian. And right. she's been a valet for most of the time in AEW. So I don't you don't really see her much as a wrestler. You know what she reminds me of? She's kind of like their version of a of, of Bliss. Because oh, right. you know, Alex you know, Alexa has the looks obviously. Oh, and she's not bad. She's not bad in the ring at all, but she's not really great either. And and she was more personality driven. Well, Penelope is definitely got, is more the, you know, got the looks going for her and she's not bad in the ring, but I think what she lacks that Alexa has is that personality that puts her over the top. She's just kind of, she doesn't really talk more. Just no. And she's just the stuck up, girlfriend or sorry fiance of kip sabian so i mean i, I don't it's just you need a really good heel opponent for sheeta and it's not nyla rose because nyla just can't put on the matches and i honestly i mean character wise brit brit's there but can brit match sheeta in the ring can brit step up in the ring because i don't think she's ever done it that's why someone like a thunder rosa was a good opponent for sheeta because you know I mean, I think a lot of people didn't really consider Thunder Rosa a heel, and they still don't think she's a heel because she's, you know, she's fun to watch. But you just need that character or that that one challenger for Sheeta that's going to push her, that's going to set the division on fire, that you just don't have. You watch WWE and you see women's matches with Bailey and Sasha, and you see, you know, Io Shirai, and, and you know, I'm trying to think of. I don't really think her Candice set the world on fire, but you know, you've seen matches obviously within the NXT women's division that were great. You've seen Charlotte and Be- uh, Becky Lynch have great matches. Name me one EW women's match. I don't think you can. Give me a minute. That might take a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, Britt Baker's had a couple of good ones. I mean, she's she has had some good ones, like initially with Rio. It's been as of late. It wasn't in the beginning. I can well, say that. I think uh, her match with Rio back in the back, like around when AEW first started, was pretty good. And Rio versus Nyla Rose, pretty solid. Which which one? The uh, the one where Rio won the title. The one, yeah, where, one where she won, won the title. title. One where she won the title. I mean, yeah, they they kind of put out all the stops for that one, but I just don't. I don't know. There's just a lack of interest that they've generated within their women's division that the, I just don't feel like the fans gravitate towards it. And I don't, it doesn't feel like they give a crap about it anymore the way they've been featuring it lately. Well, the dark matches for the women have been kind of lackluster as well because it, you, they're mostly just squash matches for like Brandy Rose or actually they're kind of building up Red Velvet now to pair up with Randy with Brandy right. Rose. And she could be a potential. And also Diamante and Ivelisse. Being caught up in a yeah, Hey, I'm a big Eva Lee's fan. I liked her back in, when like, she was in uh, TNA for a, a brief bit, and obviously in Lucha Underground too. I mean, that's you know they're there. It's almost as if you know, maybe the talent is there, but it's just not being featured. They haven't figured out how way to feature them, and I don't know. I mean, part of the problem may be, and this could be an actual good criticism of W or of AEW, is that. <sighs> I feel like sometimes they struggle to feature a lot of talent. They almost fall into that same problem WWE has. Who, who are your main three feuds? All right, those are the ones we're focused on. Then we'll pepper in everybody else. We'll make time for them. Whereas you should be trying to keep it kind of even across the board. What You always make sure there's time for Cody every week, right? right. There's always time for Moxley. Well, he's your world champ. That makes sense. Always time for the Bucks. And a bunch of I mean, tag, you've other tag make, teams. Yeah, and it's just... It feels like you're just not putting the focus of developing the women's division enough on Dynamite. Or maybe it's just that what you're doing isn't working. I'm not sure. I know that there's there are some women's wrestlers out there that you can go and get. I'll speak for one that I've seen wrestle elsewhere. Danny Jordan, who's been featured on Dark right. a lot. She was actually she on Dark has, last, last week. Like yesterday, she was on a match with Dark with Leva Bates. Right. Which I didn't see that match. You, um, it sounds like you watched it. What oh, did. did you think of that match? It was a good. She looked good. I mean, they were very evenly matched. Andy Jordan got some good offense in, but eventually, Leva Bates got the win. It was her first ever win in AEW, so that's a pretty big win right there. But yeah, Danny Jordan, she's got that character, the Mean Girl character, and I'll tell you it's what. Great. Oh yeah, but uh, by the way, what do you think of the movie Mean Girls? No, no judgment here on this, but what do you oh, think of that gosh. movie? I mean, for. Uh, uh, you know, around the coming of age kind of mean uh, high school type flick. I mean, I didn't think it was bad. I like. I mean, it yeah, too. I've it seen it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know, try to deny that I haven't watched it. Oh, I mean, everybody's seen it at least once. I would think. Well, yeah, but most guys aren't gonna want to admit to it unless they're like, "Yeah, my girl made me watch it." Well, I'll tell you this. I've I've seen it a few times when it was on TV. When it was on TV, of course, but I'm not like gonna go out of my way to watch it, but. I'll tell you this, it was actually... Oh, no, I, I got the full DVD collection of it oh, sitting man. right here. What, did no, your wife, just, did your wife kind of bring that with you? Uh, no, 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 I brought, the, I brought that to the, to the <laughs> okay. relationship, not, not her. Anyway, so I'll tell you... <laughs> there goes oh, my man card. A little bit of a tidbit here, actually. When I was in college, there was this one girl who I was in a class with who was obsessed with that movie, so she would, like, quote it every chance she got. So, it's like, it's one of those, like, movies where there's those certain kind of girls who are, like, you know, they'll quote it, like, right. just out of nowhere. But I'll, but yeah, Danny Jordan fits that movie to a T, honestly. Especially since she carries around yes. that bird book. It's like you just look. Oh, at it's it. great. And the funniest part was during and, during the Leva Bates match, she like breaks open the book, say, "Hey, where's Peter at, huh?" 
So kind of like poking <laughs> fun at her at Peter Avalon, like her leaving Peter Avalon. By the way, if you never right. got the chance to watch Peter Avalon on AEW Dark, it's so cringeworthily bad, but in a good way, if you know what I mean. He's he's supposedly like this bachelor character who's who's like does these horrible date ideas because like for example, this past week on Dark, he was like it's a POV kind of video, like where the cameraman's kind of playing as the girl. And the, and he's doing a dinner date in an elevator. <laughs> it's so stupid. Have you never had a date in an elevator? What are you doing with your life, man? Loving an elevator. Come on now. Loving an yeah, elevator. Yeah, hey man. <laughs> there goes my. You got privacy. But anyway. I almost says you got privacy. But yeah. as far as Danny Jordan goes, kind of getting this thing back on track. Um, you know, she's uh, wrestles uh, a good bit for local. Uh, here we. By the way, folks, if you're listening to our podcast for the first time. We're based in the Atlanta area, so you know we reference a lot of times promotions that might be in the area. One being Southern Honor Wrestling, which uh, is about to have their uh, next show. That actually this coming Friday up in Canton at the Action Building up there, and she's been a, one of the featured talents there for a long time. And I've actually uh, I'm good friends with Brandon Benefield, who's the uh, lead play by play guy for the group, and he talks her up all the time about you know how good she is and the fact that. You know, they don't they they sort of have had a women's division, but she's pretty much it. They bring in the occasional, you know, women's wrestler to challenge her. But a lot of times she's been involved in some of these intergender matches, which I mean, say what you will about them, whether you support them or not. I don't really care for them myself, but she's been able to at least, you know, she executes moves. She looks good, at least when she is in that setting against some of the other guys in the ring. Um, she competed in like a battle royal match that they had recently and looked really good in it. So that just tells you what she could bring to the table if you were to, to snatch her up. If you're AEW, sign her and, and make her a part of your women's division. Like you said, she's got the personality. Man, you know, if she can bring it in the ring, which I think she can, that just adds to it. You just got to present to present her correctly. Yeah, get, just get her a couple more wins on Dark and then eventually move her up to Dynamite and then you got yourself a like a potential women's star there. By the way, if you can if you have any contact with like this guy, this guy has her number and may slide my way, but let's move that on. Let's put that to another private conversation, but let's let's leave I'm it. sorry. What did you just did, did you say a, you wanted <laughs> do you want Danny Jordan? So, oh, hold on a minute now. First of all, I've already had to deal with Road Dog trying to be creepy on her. Now I have to deal with you being creepy on well, her. Here's too? the thing: I can at least be What's a the pleasant. Matter with you guys, I'm more pleasant than Road Dog is. I'm more of a gentleman. I'm much better looking than he is. Come on, now that's that's actually a fact. But you know, no. But anyway, like like I said, AJ, don't hurt don't hurt me. I mean, like I know that the Queen Slayer is kind of our foreplay, but let's leave that let's leave that alone. But anyway, moving on now to like the to the next matchup, which was the. Cinematic matchup, the elite deletion match between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara. Kind of a remake of what they did in the past with their, uh, like, it was kind of what they did with their, what's it called? The, uh, what was that match they did at Double or Nothing that was um, a false count anywhere? What was the official title of that? I can't remember. You mean the one, the match with Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara? Yeah. But they did it all out, which all was out. the that Broken was Rules match. Yeah, the Broken, the broken rules, rules match. match. That's it. Yeah, this was similar, but it was more of a cinematic match. False, pretty much was brutal, hard hitting. Man, this thing, man, Matt Hardy went all out of this one. But I do remember you going off saying that this was going to be his swan song match. By the looks of it, I don't know, man. He came out victorious. Matt Hardy dropping Sammy on his head with a power bomb and just like tucking him in a trash can and having a private party like wheel him out of the out of the area. 
overall, this is a really like a brutally fun match to watch. But I don't know what this does for Sammy Guevara going forward. But I think that they're just going to throw him back into an inner circle like idea with MJF. Like this whole thing with the MJF, the inner circle going forward. I think they're going to put a lot of focus on Sammy in this matchup. Here's <laughs> this is what it does for Sammy Guevara. I mean, he stole the show in this. Uh, the, him doing the the moonsault off the big uh, the Bigfoot tire. Right. I mean, some of the stuff that he can do. I told you after watching the the show most recently, where uh, there was a tag team match with, um, or maybe I didn't have this conversation with you. Maybe I had a conversation with somebody else. But either way, uh, the the tag match where him and I guess it was him and Santana or him and Ortiz against Wardlow and MJF. It was Ortiz. How he kind of. Okay, it was Ortiz. He kind of portrayed a little bit of a baby face in that match, and I think the fans were rallying behind him because obviously everybody hates MJF. But Sammy Guevara wrestles a style that you could respect him, and I I see baby face on the horizon for him. Even though he's he's always been kind of that douche character, you know he can you can respect the douche after a little while if that douche is really good. And I, honestly, I could easily see that kind of being. What comes out of this, especially with MJF now, oh, we'll get to that in a second. Spoiler alert in the inner circle now. But anyway, um, you know, we can see, you know, where do you go from that? Because if anything, the stuff that he did in this match could only do serve him well as getting gaining even more respect uh, within uh, the fan base of AEW. So as far as the match itself, I don't know. Like, I thought there were some good stuff. The cameos, Gangrel, Hurricane, awesome. That was really cool. Um, I enjoyed that. Of course, you know, great to see Senior Benjamin and and oh, his, uh, and Rebby Sky as well, um, and the piano and everything like that. It was definitely a throwback to the the uh, the deletion, the final deletion and total deletion matches of of uh, TNA. I don't think I liked how it was presented. And I think it was, and I'm I'm sure I'm, you can say I'm nitpicking, I guess, but I was expecting it to be more like the way it was presented in TNA because what they tried to do with Woken Matt Hardy in WWE, obviously they were going to screw that up. Nobody was surprised by that. This felt it was cinematic, but it felt live at the same time. Yeah, I did like the, they had like the crowd noise in the background. The commentators were commentating right. on it. Yeah, I hated the commentators being there. I thought that was dumb. I mean, I felt like it should have literally been a full-on cinematic match. It you just should have been, which they they worked in music at times, but I felt like there should have been music the whole times. I feel like it should have been a lot of focus on their interaction, not hearing our commentators give us play-by-play. I mean, come on. It should have been like almost an intermission for the broadcasters. Give them a minute and and show this thing to the live crowd. But you didn't need to hear the live crowd. This should have been full focus as a, a viewer at home of what this match could have, uh, what you know, you could have done with that. That's not to say it was bad match. I still thought it was a really good match, and they really went all out with it. And, and the chair shot at the end was brutal. Oof. The shot, right, not, well, not the concerto was great, but no, the straight edge of the chair up against yeah. Sammy's head Ugh. was just brutal um and i thought the match did tell a good story it's just i don't i don't know i'm nitpicking but i didn't like the presentation i mean i would say i would say yeah you're nitpicking but i would not say it was a bad thing because i don't disagree with you i mean you brought up some very valid points and i think that was a good way of putting it i mean it was very it was a very well done match it was brutal wise but yeah they just didn't present it the right way yeah the commentators i think was a bit out of place 
it kind of made it seem like they were just fighting in the back area, pretty much. Which I think they pretty I much, did. I think they were, if I remember correctly. What's that? But they were fighting in the back or somewhere. No, they were at the Hardy compound. Never mind. They were at the Hardy compound. Because yeah, Sam they were Gavara, definitely at the Hardy that's compound. That's right, because um, no, Sammy Guevara drives up in a golf cart and um, right, almost gets run over by that damn monster truck. Right. I just... <laughs> Him, him driving apparently all the way from Jacksonville to Cameron, North Carolina, in his uh, his golf cart. I mean that that part right there. I wonder how many just times me up from the get go. I wonder how many times he stopped to charge the damn thing. Yeah, you know he probably was every I don't know twenty thirty miles probably had to stop. If that, I mean like, that was a long. You know he probably left Jacksonville after Dynamite last week, and he just just was arriving. In the middle of the show. I bet you, though, I'll tell you this. I don't think it was very safe driving on the highway in that thing. I'll tell you that. That probably just looked out of place as hell. Me, like, you're well, just- I, well, I hope he took back roads the whole time. Because, you know, you get out in the country somewhere, you take the back roads. I mean, you know, you got to slow down for tractors right. and log yeah. trucks. Well, you know, so people are going to slow down for you because things just move a little slower out in the country. So, I mean, you could have done that. You had to come through Georgia on a highway in um, a golf cart. Stay you're off the get, interstate. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of middle fingers, shotguns in your face, uh, all the whole nine yards. Like people, if you try to drive a golf cart on 285, you will die. Let me tell you this. There's a running joke here in Atlanta saying that the speed limit of the highways is the number of the highway. For example, like on 75, it's 75. On 85, it's 85. 400 is 400. But then again, you know, that's just a state route. So I don't know if that really counts, but... Yeah, yeah, Atlanta drivers are insane. Okay, I've lived here my entire life, and I've yeah, that's kind of a common fact. Yeah, it, yes, there's a certain way you have to drive in the city, and if you don't drive that way too, you're not going to make it. I'll tell you, I mean, the big just completely take this show completely off the rails here. Like it already has not been. <laughs> my, right, my folks moved to uh, Charleston, South Carolina about six years ago. They've since moved back, but for a while they were there. Whenever I would go to visit them, I want you want to see a culture class just based based on how well not necessarily a culture class but just a clash of how the uh, just the personality of drivers are in one area versus the other. You go there, folks look like they're out for a Sunday drive in the middle of the week, like and they're on the interstate. They're driving the speed limit in the fast lane. Oh my god! And you're used to driving. Much faster than that because that's just kind of what you have to do here I'm to going, survive. I go eighty miles an hour in the fast lane. I'm getting passed in Atlanta. Yes. Okay. I'm yes. going eighty, and I'm getting a dude just flying past me. He's probably going ninety or a hundred. I'm scared to go that fast because there are damn cops everywhere on the highways around here. You hop on I-26 in South Carolina and try to go five miles over the speed limit in the fast lane. You might not be able to do that because somebody's going slower. It'll drive you insane if you're conditioned to this 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 way of driving here in the city. I'll tell you what, though, at least there's no state patrol out there on every corner waiting to get you for a ticket. It's going over the speed limit like there is here. Oh, I wouldn't say that. There's plenty of South Carolina. There's cops at every corner on that highway. Of course there is. I always see all over the place. I always see state patrol on 75 going south from the studio to my house. I always see at least two cop cars a trip. All right. Anyway, so now yes. it's okay. We gotta get back on track. By here the way, by the way, w- w- to our cop listeners out there, we we love you. Thanks for listening. My roommate's a cop, so yeah, don't hurt me. Um. Anyway, so ba- <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next match, which was my which is my favorite storyline in the entire show. MJF versus Chris Jericho, and if MJF wins, he joins the inner circle. MJF gets the win, but in the most MJF way possible. 
possibly the most Chris Jericho way possible because at first you have MJF breaking out the dynamite diamond ring. Chris Jericho brings out Floyd the bat. Aubrey Edwards is distracted. Chris Jericho winds up Floyd and MJF hits the deck. Right as um, Aubrey turns around, he sees MJF on the floor, Jericho bat in hand, and MJF gets the roll-up win. How else could you have ended that match? How more perfect could that ending have been? There probably could have been a more perfect way, but I thought that was a very good way to end it. Great way to continue the storyline. And then with Jericho and um, MJF hugging out at the end of the match, you're going to see that the inner circle is just going to revolt from within, maybe. I'm very excited to see where this goes because I love the storyline. I love MJF as a heel character. Jericho is gold as always. This is just going to be something I'm really looking forward to seeing. Yeah, man, this this storyline is going to be incredible. As far as the match goes, yeah, I mean, MJF's never been a, the wrestler that dominated. So him getting a clean win over Jericho would have made sense. And if you want him to join and prove his worth, you've got to do you've got to beat Jericho at his own game. How do you do that? You outsmart him and outheal him. And that's what he did. And by the way, great ode to Eddie Guerrero there with the uh, faking out that he got knocked out with the bat. That was great. That was entertaining. Uh, I thought it was a solid match. I thought they really put on a good match. You know, for all the criticism that MJF sometimes gets for the fact that, you know, he's a great promo, but man, he can't, he's not really that good in the ring or he hadn't really showed anything. What in the, the ring. hell have those you people know? been watching? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that the, and the fact that Chris Jericho could still put on that kind of a match at now, now he's 50, he just turned 50 this week. Yep. He was still 49 at the time of this match, but still, the man was about to turn 50 and he's putting on that kind of a match. Not saying it was a barn burner, not saying it was match of the year candidate, but it brought everything you need. It was solid. It was entertaining. Uh, and man, I mean, I don't know that you're going to see the inner circle implode from within, but I do think there's going to be some revolting in there. And I can, I mean, because you, know, you now have the inner circle's got seven people theoretically with MJF and Wardlow both in there, which I thought it was interesting to see that. They just accepted Wardlow in there too. I didn't I mean, know how that was going to work. But. Get that guy that big. Why wouldn't you accept him in there? I mean, that's just something. That's an oh, extra yeah. for Hager. I mean, come on. Right, right, and that just makes you know now Wardlow can be the muscle of the group, and uh, you know Hager can actually get back to being you know what he should be, and as a wrestler. But you know, like I said earlier about Sammy Guevara, I could very easily see this being a situation where Sammy leaves the group. Because he doesn't like MJF there, they kick him out and replace him with MJF. MJF basically becomes that little the singles up and coming heel, so to speak, in the group, and 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 then eventually, you know, like I've said before, I, I see this being a usurp situation where eventually Jericho's out too, because you know they if, whether MJF buys people out or MJF just happens to out, you know, get in the mind of some of the other guys in the group. I don't think. You know, I think the the two the two members of the inner circle that opposed MJF being in there were what MJ or uh, Guevara and, and Ortiz and Ortiz. But you're not going to split up Santana and Ortiz. They're too good of a tag team. So if anybody leaves out of this, it's going to be Guevara. That's definitely a good way of putting it because Guevara by himself is fantastic. I mean, he's just a great overall competitor. He's got the great mic skill. Let him he's be a babyface singles guy. Babyface singles guy. I'm not. I mean, I really haven't seen much of him as babyface, but as a heel, he's great. I mean, he's got the babyface style, like as the high flying, quick action kind yes. of movements. He's definitely got that style. But I think of his cockiness and his 
like arrogance makes him such a great heel that I'm not really sure. I think you kind of keep him as an in-between kind of thing. Like he'll have heel tendencies, but he'll still kind of be a baby face. And maybe when Jericho, if Jericho ends up getting kicked out, you kind of make them both a tag team, like get the lay sex gods together and have them go up against MJF and Wardlow to take back the inner circle or things like that. This place, this feud, it just goes so many ways. It's I'm just excited to see where this goes. Yeah, it'll be great to see it. And uh, the thing about Sammy, yeah, yeah, he's he's so cocky and he's got those very heel tendencies. But that's made very good baby faces in in today's wrestling. I mean, let's be honest with you. Uh, look at Kenny Omega may be a baby face right now, but the cleaner gimmick that is not a baby face character. That is a heel character that just so happened to get over as a baby face. It's you know. Cody's got heel tendencies. The Bucks are heels for the love of Pete. They've always been heels. They just happen to get over his baby faces. So Guevara could very easily be just who he is now with that cockiness. It's still very well. You know, the fans are going to grow to love him because of, like you said, that style that he has. I think that's where it works. All right. Now, speaking of the young Bucks, we got to move on to this tag team title match because this was the dream. I was going to say, I thought you were, I was like, are you going to skip that match? I would not because... skip this match. Well, well, we'll we're going to get, well, I'm not going down the card exactly, but we'll still get to it. We're going to get to it right uh, now. You, cause you were following it to a team. I was, I then, was, so, okay. but then we got caught up in the whole Danny Jordan talk with the women's division and all that. And we just got lost, but I'll tell you this. We'll get into it now. <sighs> the tag team division match that everybody wanted to see, but was just, I think was at the wrong time. Young Bucks versus FTR for the AEW Tag Team titles. Young Bucks get the titles. They get the win. They can still vouch for the titles in the future, obviously, now being the champions. But at the same time, he sacrificed FTR, giving them a short title reign. Only about, what was it, 60 days, I think, was a reign for FTR. That is not long enough for a team like FTR. They deserve a longer reign. But I think that they should have not include that stipulation to have the Young Bucks win or else they no longer vow for the titles. And that just set this match up for disappointment. But the match itself was great. But I just don't know if I like the finish of like Matt Jackson kicking him with his bare foot and that that being the finisher right there. Because I feel like a shoe would probably get a lot more damage than a bare foot in a super kick. So that part didn't make sense to me. Maybe that was just nitpicking there. But yeah, this is just the wrong time for them to have this kind of stipulation of a match. This match kind of lived up to the, I wouldn't say it lived up to the dream match that could have been, but it was still a really fun match to watch. Wow, you're sitting here nitpicking this match, and I'm going to sit here and say this is the guy who nitpicked the freaking Elite Deletion match. Well, come on, that that was kind of a dumb match anyway, but it was entertaining, but it was kind of dumb. This was by far the match of the show. It's not even close. And... I love the story. The story was great. I, I Well, the selling especially. I mean, Matt sold that ankle injury the whole match, I mean, really well. Oh, yeah, the selling and was great. Then, but, the, but then, to boot you, even the odds with Dax Hardwood having the hurt hand. And, he's, and you had constantly, you know, every time that he would punch, all, now his hand hurts. Every time Matt would do something with his leg. It was just great storytelling. And a lot of times in wrestling today, even on you're supposed to be quote unquote selling your injury, these guys decide, oh, my getting my stuff in is more important than me telling the story, and that you end up with matches that you know maybe they look flashy and stuff, but they don't tell the story that they could have that makes the match that much better. And to me, man, they just whew, they brought it here. It was a good story, and you know what? We talked about this the 
what I didn't like about, you know, they backed themselves in that corner where it was it was going to be somewhat predictable that you really needed the Young Bucks to win because you couldn't just take them out of the title picture. The tag division needed them. And so that part, I mean, I guess in a lot of ways it wasn't predictable, but I just, you know, you just didn't feel good either way because it was going to be oh, either the Young Bucks are not going to get the challenge for the belts and you got to figure out how to work around that or a title ring. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you on the selling, the storytelling. That was great. I love the fact that Matt was selling his ankle injury the whole time and how Dax and Dax Perkins sold his hand injury. I think it was a laceration, if I remember correctly. It was like a massive Yeah, he hit the crap out of the turnbuckle. <laughs> yeah, that was that looked pretty brutal. <laughs> that but post yeah. was bad. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I thought the storytelling was great. But I think that the stipulation, having the Young Bucks like, not being able to go for the championships anymore, I think that took a lot away from the match for me. Because it would either go two ways. One, you lose the Young Bucks in the tag division for the titles, or two, you you lose a really you lose a good title reign for FTR. And they're going to get another one in the future, but the first championship reign I feel is the one of the more important ones because it establishes yourself as a champion. Like Sasha Banks, when she was in WWE, she only held the title for like a week or two at the most, and then that kind of put her as like a fluke champion of some sorts. That kind of stuck with her for a while. Like, if she were going to win a championship, it's like, oh, she's just going to drop it in her next defense. Give the FTR a like, lengthy title reign with the tag titles, and that kind of sets them as a really as a dominant tag team. But the fact the game not that really long of a reign kind of makes you think maybe they won't, maybe their next couple title reigns won't be as long. Hope, uh, hopefully, they don't go that route because I'm a huge fan of FTR. But in the future, I think that FTR deserves a better chance at a title reign, like a longer title reign, like Hangman well, and, and Omega did. Well, I don't disagree with you on that. Here's here's what I was getting to. Over the course of, of I guess, going into the event, maybe as the match is happening, I, I think my mind, my thoughts on this match and, and where we were going with it sort of, I don't know, I think it kind of changed a little bit because I thought more about it, and especially after the match ended and when the Bucks had won. You know, this is supposed to be a rivalry that is going to light the, the tag team world on fire. Well, one, you know, a rivalry doesn't involve just one match. This needs to have multiple matches. So, yes, you know, you may have wanted to see FTR have a long title reign. And in theory, them holding the belts and the Young Bucks eventually dethroning them at the end of the feud would have been a good way to go. But another way to go, which can make it just as competitive, is to have them trade the titles. And now you've got Young Bucks have now beaten FTR. Well, the next time around, FTR gets their rematch. They take the belts back from the Young Bucks, and then you had the blow-off match. You know whether that be at Revolution, whether that you could honestly extend this. You could go the next three pay-per-view or the next two pay-per-views. You could have the rematch. You know, have the Young Bucks defend against everybody but FTR leading into Revolution. Then FTR gets their rematch. They win the titles back. Then you build the double or nothing, and then you get the final, the the rubber match of their their feud. You could really go long term with this. And it kind of brings to mind for me that, you know, yeah, it's only 63 days officially for FTR's tag team champions. But we talked about it a little bit, I think, on the show that it seemed like every week they were defending the titles against somebody. And, I mean, Hangman and, and Omega didn't defend the title. They didn't have them defend the titles like that. Well, to be it's fair, almost that as if was, they tra- it was because of COVID, to be fair. 
Well, no, 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 I'm not talking about just the fact that that long like gap in there uh, from you know just past Revolution until really Double or Nothing when Hangman came back that you didn't have a defend. No, I mean, I don't really think Hangman and, and even leading into Revolution they they might have had a couple of def- title defenses before facing the Young Bucks. I don't. I just think there was a concentrated effort to make FTR defend the titles a lot. And after All Out, leading into Full Gear, they were facing all kinds of different challengers. And it makes you wonder, maybe that the plan all along was for the Young Bucks to take the titles at Full Gear, but for you to establish FTR quickly as this team that was beating everybody, and not just beating them in non-title matches, beating them in title matches, giving these teams title shots that you could have done over a longer period of time, but instead you did it in a more concise amount of time to lead up to full gear. You didn't have two months. I mean, yeah, you might have wanted a nine-month title reign, but would Hangman and Omega have gotten the same kind of title reign if COVID hadn't happened? Probably not. Probably not. They, they, they probably were going to be done after double or nothing. So as a team, uh, at least, uh, or tag champs. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, could you have gone longer? Yes, you could have easily drawn this out to where Young Bucks didn't win for a little ways down the road. But I think the the, the possibility of what you could do down the road in this feud is very good. I mean, this could really lead to some just incredible back and forth matches. I mean, maybe these guys trade the titles a bunch of times, kind of like the Horsemen and the, you know, the Rock and Roll Express, or the Rock and Roll Express, and the Midnight Express did back in the day. Who said that you've got to have, you know, one team dominate for a long time and then finally the other team wins? You can trade these belts back and forth as long as the matches are competitive. To me, that's what matters. So I think this is more the matches. So you're just kind of yeah, saying more like an Usos and New Day kind of rivalry. Yes, it could very well be that. And I'm, but I'm not saying let's, you know, their rivalry, they because the pay-per-views that WWE were doing were so close together, it seemed like it was like, you know, you hold the belts for three weeks, I'll hold the belts for four, you hold the belts for two. You know, I mean, I'm talking, you know, okay, Young Bucks are going to hold these titles until February. Then FDR is going to hold the belts at least until May and maybe longer if they were to win the feud, which I wouldn't hate them winning, winning the match, you know, if they were to do it at double or nothing. So, I mean, yeah, you can get longer reigns out of this. Maybe their first reign was short. That doesn't mean that they're not going to have those long reigns down the road. All right, that's fair enough, honestly. But, yeah, like I said, I mean, honestly, I think it was just too soon because FDR literally just got in the company, so I think it was a little too soon to kind of pull the plug on that. That was good. That's basically my gripe about it. That was my gripe about it, but I feel like you brought some good points. I think that's – it could go either way, honestly, and I'd be okay with it because I do love seeing them feud with each other. But yeah, I mean, it was. I feel like it was too soon, personally. But that was my eyes on that. But so, the match itself. Well, the match itself was great. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to deny the match. It, it was, was fantastic. Great. And I just, uh, was, I'm all, I just wanted to point out one thing I really did enjoy about it: the the ode to all the tag teams that when they were doing the tag team moves, when you got a heart attack, you got the Steiner Bulldog, right. then, and it was it was so subtle in how they did it because FTR is like the old school team, right? So they're going to do the ones of the more old school teams like the Hart Foundation, like the Steiners. Meanwhile, the Young Bucks are doing the 3D. They're doing, you know, the Swanton and the Twist of Fate combination for the Hardys and the Dudleys, which is more, you know, modern and new school. And I thought, man, that was that was so subtly done. And then, then you're gonna, you know, as big of an NXT fan as you are, I know it wasn't lost on you when FTR hit DIY's finisher. Oh yeah. On on the bus. The and then in the middle. And then afterwards the submission when the Bucks went for the, 
the sharpshooters, much like the match in Toronto and NXT takeover Toronto, right. when the, the, the revival grabbed each other's hands to try to keep each other from tapping. Yeah. They do the same thing here with the sharpshooters. And I was like, man, that right there. So subtle. And some fans might not up with it. It's like a, it's like watching a, a, a comic book movie and getting that little Easter egg. That's like, oh man, if you've been a fan for a long time, you'll get that. That's something that fans have been watching. You know the the revival and the FTR for all these years, man. That's something they're going to remember. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like you that the reason why you remember that moment though in Toronto is because that was just DIY's crowning crowning moment to get those titles, and you just think you just picture them locked in the Gargano Escape and the Fujiwara Armbar, like just them like. Trying to hang on, but they just can't. They just eventually give in, and then finally the the double tap. Yep. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's just those subtle things you just see. That's great, fantastic. By the way, speaking of the Dudleys, by the way, did you see on Dark last week? Devon's twin sons, Terrence and Terrell, I believe their names were. They made their AEW debut. TNT. They made their AEW debut last night on Dark. They looked really good. I think they're gonna probably. yeah, you got some you got some big names coming in. Like the like these guys are gonna be coming in. Hopefully they'll get more of a spot on dark. Like they did with Brian Pillman Jr. gave him a spot on dark and eventually he him and Griff Garrison might be moving into the tag division. So we got some you got some new familiar faces in this division. I hate to use a Brian Pillman Jr. Yeah, they I think the he, he should be a lot I think he needs to be used a lot better. If you've seen his work in MLW, have you seen? Uh, he even had a recent spot with SHW here in, in in Georgia too. Man, dude's a good singles wrestler, and I don't really want to see him as a tag team, especially with Griff Garrison. No offense to Griff, Griff Garrison makes me go flashback to the late nineties watching Lodi Lane or not Lodi Lane, Lenny Lane wrestle in WCW. That's who he reminds me of, and it's like he yeah. looks kind of plain, uh, if I'll be honest. Yeah, and, and Brian Pillman Jr. can be so much more. And I, I'm guessing the reason why he hasn't been pushed yet is he's still technically under contract to MLW, which they're getting ready to start here next uh, week from uh, week from uh, or next week, should I say? So uh, you know he's still going to be involved with that at least until his contract runs out. But man, I hope you know when the time comes, if he does get officially under AEW contract, turn him loose because. The potential is there for him. Yeah, he could, that could be a really crazy time to see. Anyway, now let's go on to the main event, the AEW World Championship match, the I Quit match, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. We all knew John Moxley was going to walk away, but the one question was how he's going to make Eddie Kingston quit, and holy crap, wrapping the barbed wire around the dude's neck in the bully choke, or the bulldog choke. Jesus. I mean, like, just think about that. You have barbed wire wrapped around your freaking neck. Just to make you quit, if you had to go that far, man, that's it. That's just saying something. Yeah, that um, ooh, that uh, that was brutal. That would make me say I quit too. But I think a lot of people kind of criticize this match a little bit for the fact that that just kind of the match just sort of ended. Like it, it, you know, obviously he does that, but it, I don't know. Maybe there was they were looking for something, you know, a little more brutal than that, which is kind of hard to imagine but something more dramatic i guess and didn't actually really hear him say i quit you had to really look close closely I mean, you could see hear it a little bit but like it was you had to not, go back and listen to yeah, it yeah you had to listen closely it was more like a tap out than it was an like, i quit and i guess it's kind of like that kind right, of right because he was being choked yeah so it was kind of hard to i mean maybe having a microphone involved there like WWE's done over the years with yeah. the i quit matches would have been good uh, but I mean, man, they they went all out with the hardcore stuff, you know. 
I, I thought the match was fine, and I thought it was supposed to do. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was hardcore. It was good. It was solid. I still, I like. I honestly, I would have made it of the Bucks and FTR because this match. I just, I like Eddie, man. Dude's good on the mic. He, he you know, he's a guy that you can kind of get behind a little bit. He is sympathetic, but even though he's supposed to be a heel here, but he ain't world championship level. He's not. Well, he's not in John Moxley's world, and for that to be a main event of a pay per view, of which you only have four of those, you look at—I mean, look at the main events that you've had with for the AEW World Title since it came AEW came into existence. Jericho Hangman, Cody Jericho, Jericho Moxley, Moxley Brody Lee, Moxley MJF, Moxley Eddie Kingston. Yeah, Eddie kind of seems more of a stepping Black. stone challenger. Right, and that would have been, you know, if you didn't want... I, I've said this before. I thought it would have been a feud after Moxley dropped the title. I would have been fine with that. Oh, for sure, yeah. done a lot with that. Middle of the card match, you know, would have been great. Um, it just didn't need to be a main eventing one of your only four pay-per-views of the year and for the world title. You know, I just... Especially with, you know, maybe if you had spent a, a spent a while really building Eddie up, but I just don't think Eddie's world title caliber. And I guess that was the one thing about this card going into it from a hype standpoint. I almost didn't feel like this show you know, matched some of the other ones because it just didn't feel like in that department, in the world title area, it just didn't have that big money match that I was looking for. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was that think it was the right way to go about it, just to make it that brutal. Because like Eddie Kingston was built up to be this guy who is never say die, never quits, and he's just this badass who would go do anything, whatever it took, just to get his hands on that world championship. And the way they kind of go about it, you really had no choice to like to kind of go that direction with it. But it, like, I don't even know how he could have made it more brutal than to wrap barbed wire around the dude's neck for, for crying out loud. I mean, that was probably the most brutal thing I've ever seen, at least at least in AEW. Plus, you brought out the thumbtacks, too, like Moxley going down on those. Every time you bring out thumbtacks, man, you just you you know something terrible is going to happen. Like, I just don't understand. I don't know how. How do wrestlers, like, go on these thumbtacks and just... Uh, it's just so brutal. Oh, and the rubbing alcohol. Oh, because oh, the, they're oh gimmick, my man. Don't you know they're gimmick? Gosh. Like, the freaking... Like, he brings out a bottle of rubbing alcohol and pours it on his back. Covered Dude, that was... <laughs> I felt <laughs> that one. One of those little bitty subtle things that you're like, man, ouch. I, mean, I felt that, and I was like... You just like see like have you if you've ever like had a cut on your face from shaving or something use rubbing alcohol to like clean your face up you know you like just get the like to help clean your pimples at least I've used it in the past like that way if you like a little nick on your face from shaving you know how bad that stings just imagine like having a whole thing dumped on your back covered in puncture wounds from like like tens of thumbtacks in your back or in your arms oh my god that that just like that I think that was just the one thing that almost made me throw up if I'm be honest. Try pouring that stuff on your hand if you've sliced it open slightly with a pair of cooking scissors that your wife has used to cook dinner with, and you were trying to clean it, and you just accidentally nicked yourself. Oh. Uh, it feels great. Let me tell you, 
dude, it's amazing. It's it's I, I highly don't recommend doing that. I'll and tell you, it was such a here's another I've one. I've never seen anything like that. Was a very creative way, yeah. to work in a very painful thing in wrestling. Yeah. I've never I mean, seen anything like that in a ring. That's not just painful. That's excruciating. That's not just painful. That's just like something that just lasts. I mean, like. You know, you get like a slap on the chest or something that kind of wears off after a couple seconds. But I'm like, man, that's alcohol in your blood. That that stings yep. for a good what couple minutes. Because well, here's another example. Like if I work at a fine dining restaurant, I open bottles of wine all the time. Like you sl- you cut you get a little bit of a paper cut on your finger from the foil on the wine on the top of the wine bottles. You know what I mean? Like you're cutting off that foil right there. You, you cut your finger a little bit, and then you got to go handle some lemons for somebody. Get a little lemon juice in that paper cut. Now that that is just that that's kind of that's a kind of pain. That yeah, I'm just, <laughs> just thinking about that's kind of making me cringe a little bit. Well, then then don't think about it, man. Get that it's, out of well, your head. I've, Get I've, I've experienced it enough times to where like I've experienced pain like that enough times to where like once I just think about something like that, oh god, I just it sends yeah. a chill up my spine. But I just can't imagine. How, I really hope that they faked that bottle of alcohol and just made it into a bottle of water. I'm but, sure it was a bottle. Of I mean, yeah, but I just really hope they did. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't because, let's face it, they you, use thumbtacks. But you know, yeah, that's it's just one of those things you just look at and go, how in the hell does somebody walk away from that without like having massive, massive trauma or shock or whatever? Man, that's that's just something you just you just look at, especially the choking of the barbed wire on the neck. How did he? They, there's just got to be some careful, careful placement on that, because one false slip and you slice your jugular open for for goodness sake. Yeah, that was. Whew. You just think if Moxley placed his arm in the wrong spot, that could have gotten ugly right. fast. It's got to look brutal. And that's not to say that it wasn't a gimmicked version of it that still was very real. Yeah. It was just done in a way to make sure these guys, you know, Eddie Kingston was going to be safe. But, man, I mean, that you got you, it had to be something over the top to get him to say I quit. It had to be. I think he succeeded in that. Yeah, they succeeded in that some, in my opinion. But anyway, that wraps up the whole show right there. But overall, this was a good pay-per-view. I don't know if it was as good as the last one. But it was up there, man. I'll tell you what. This was a really solid pay-per-view. Very well done. The storylines in there were very were, were very enjoyable, ex- for the exception of the women's division. But what can you do when you're working with what you got? But overall, I thought it was a very solid, well-done pay-per-view. The results are... I say we pretty much hit the nail on the head on that one, honestly. Top to bottom, I think, when you look at this show, it's just... It was... As far as match quality goes... I mean, there wasn't a bad match. Even even Sheeta and Nyla Rose was not a bad match. So, I mean, you're gonna if you're gonna try to rate it, I'm, I'm giving it a B plus. Just look at the matches themselves, were all really you know good, if not great, if not incredible matches. Like I thought FTR Young Bucks match was, uh, you know, some of the storylines, you know, whether you like them or not, I think that maybe it pulled just a little bit away from it. I mean, like you said, you didn't like the stipulation of FTR and Young Bucks. I wasn't necessarily crazy about it, but I can actually get on board a little bit with where it could go. I did want to point out one thing about that match that I really loved after the match. I, I did enjoy seeing uh, them having Kenny come out and congratulate him, but it wasn't Kenny being out there. It was Hangman Page hanging around just inside the entranceway not really to be seen, like to the point that Excalibur and Tony were like, 
wait, who who's who's over here? They couldn't even like they were playing off the they couldn't even see him. And it's as if, you know what, he's there. He's still their friend, even on the it's kind of a cool way to see where this storyline could go because you know, we kind of felt like especially with Hangman or uh, Omega kind of embracing the cleaner character again, that he was gonna go the heel route. That the Bucks were acting heelish, but now, you know, it, after everything that happened, the way that Kenny was the hangman leading into the match, wanting to shake his hand, you know, kind of, kind of uh, you know, I think kind of gave him a, a shout out after the match, after their match had ended. It seems like they're all still kind of like the elite is is together. Maybe that's the, like the ongoing. Are they together? Are they not together? Do they like each other? And it's like that little subtle thing there with hangman being like, you know what? I know we're not on good terms right now, but I still love you guys. And I'm just kind of watching you guys celebrate from afar. Well, this kind of just a nice little touch. This kind of makes me feel like the whole shield breakup thing back in the day when Ambrose was kind of hinting at being the heel when he was it was kind of hinting that Ambrose would turn. But then we get the get the whole swerve right there with Rollins being the bad guy. Maybe we'll see that there too. I mean, maybe Hangman the Ambrose in this, and then Omega eventually kind of turns his back on everybody and attacks him, and Omega is the Seth Rollins. I mean. God, they could go both ways. I think that, I think that your your idea is probably more likely than my my thoughts on it. But I'd be okay with either result. But I'm definitely going to agree with you. I'll give it a Daniel Bryan solid B plus right there as well. He's not a B plus player. He is an A plus. I I agree with you. I'm just saying. I'm just going with the whole Stephanie McMahon quote there. Okay, I just did it for the quote Nobody's purposes. I don't actually believe. McMahon. I don't actually believe what she said. I'm just saying it for the reference, the purpose of the reference. There, it's <sighs> you kind of. Well, I mean, like it wouldn't make sense if you kind of. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It makes sense if you didn't go with what the quote was. You know, that's just that's kind of what uh, makes a reference. I, I see what you were trying to do. You just really touched the nerve there, son. <laughs> I probably did that to a, I do that to a lot of people, man. And that's what makes me the kind of the kind of character that you know is kind of the heelish, but at the same time can make you laugh. I thought I was the heel of the show. What are we, th- we, what can are we both doing? Be, here? I mean, like you're more heel than me, but you know I'll still have are my. Are trying tendencies. to say that we're, we're we are the heel show of the finishing moves? That what we're trying to say the other guys are now the heels. I wouldn't say and that's a bad thing because know, the heels kind of get over big, more. Big John and Road Dog are the baby faces here. The heels kind of get over more, so I wouldn't say that's a bad thing. We can pull off an NXT invasion yeah. sort of thing. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, we could super kick John and Road Dog one of these days. It's like it's our show now. The other guys are. I'm taking not super over. kicking anybody. I break shoulders when I try to. Super you go, kick. you, know, you could just that. do a senton. How about that? I'm not leaving my feet. <laughs> I think it's safe to okay, not leave my shoulder feet. tackle or spear. Take your pick, because I'll. I I'll mean, go, I think I could do a spear. I will. I will bring the spear. Actually, now that I think about it, maybe I'll just go for more. So Michinoku driver, because given my history of groin injuries, I'm not sure that a super kick would probably be my best interest. If I'm be honest, how about I just grab a? How about I just grab a steel chair? Let's just grab chairs and just maybe whack them over the back with it, or maybe it would be I'll, a lot safer. Not for them, but for yeah, them. I was about to say, yeah, for us. Well, anyway. That's some future plans that me and Chris will conspire to off air. But for now, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, thepodcastpark.com. Follow us on Twitter at InternDavid680 and Chris at Bearded Colwell. Indeed. And also, don't forget to follow our boys, Big John and Road Dog, Road Dog680. Uh, John Rad450, I believe, is what it is. or what was this? Uh, wow, nice job. I have yes. a hard time remembering theirs. It was one of the, it was, I knew the four 
part was in. I just couldn't get the other part, other numbers in his name. JRad450 or JohnRad450 or whatever his Twitter name is. We'll figure it out. And anyway, so also follow the Wrestle X Extra on Sports Extra. Tune into the show itself, the finishing move, every Thursday night at 7 p.m. on Extra 106.3 FM or on the Sports Extra app. That will do it for us here for the finishing move, the Other Guys podcast. For the for the Bearded Wrestling fan, Chris Cowell, I'm the intern, David Holloway. Have a great night. We'll see you next time. Peace.